Hello and welcome to another edition of the No Ratings Podcast. Of course, you guessed right, I am not Nabade. Nabade is enjoying himself in India at the Cricket World Cup. He was at India-Pakistan in a stadium full of 130,000 people. Uh, he's been TikToking and videoing with speed. Um, so he's having the time of his life. So little old me is filling in on substitute duties. But listen, we've got guests that will keep you bubbling right the way through as we look ahead to the weekend of fixtures that have just gone past. Um, I just wanted to check in and say a huge thank you to all the audience that's been rocking with us since the beginning. Uh, where we're full steam ahead towards our first 100 episodes. And of course, you can keep in touch with us at the No Ratings Podcast on YouTube, Spotify, Twitter, TikTok, and everything. Now, listen, enough about all of that. Here are our guests. We've got Dubois, the Chelsea fan, and Raf, the Arsenal fan. How are we, boys? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for having me on. Looking forward to this episode. Obviously, uh, the result is still quite fresh, so looking forward to getting to it. Um, likewise, doing all right, um, as good as you can be after a match like that, but you know, getting on with it. Well, listen, uh, your, your moods are quite somber, but hopefully I'll, I'll, I'll spice things up with a few questions that should get the juices flowing. Of course, if you don't know, if you are hiding under a rock, Chelsea and Arsenal met at Stamford Bridge and it was a thriller that ended in a 2-2 draw. But before we get into all of that, producer Sakib has posed a nice little icebreaker that I wanted to put to the boys. Boys, are we ready for this? It's, um... Not exactly football-related, but it should tell me enough about you guys. So, there's a scenario here. You've got a race, prime Usain Bolt. So, we're talking Beijing 2008. We're, taking, we're talking the London 2012 games. We're talking Rio 2016. You've got to race him over 100 meters. If you win, you get 100k. But every 10 meters forward you start, you can get a head start. Every 10 meters, you can get a 10 meter head start, a 20 meter head start. But each 10 meters you get a head start, you wipe off 10,000 pounds off of your total winnings if you win. How far ahead of Usain Bolt are you starting in this race? Uh, Raf, let's start with you. Um, I'll go for seven, 70, 70 meters, I think. Bro, I'm, not taking, I'm not taking no chances. 30k is more than enough for me. Yeah. That will that will go me a long way. That will do nice things for me. So let's let's keep it safe. Let's take the money. Let's be reasonable as we always are. What what are you your know, credentials keep... in, in the running games? Are any any gold or silver medals at sports days or any any uh bro, the the most I have is as a youngster I used to play football and I was a DM or a centre back. So obviously I, I yeah, so I was I, I was never far, the fastest of the of the people. So I'm like no credentials here in terms of pace or running power or anything like that. So let's keep it safe. Yeah, that's that's what right. we need to do. Okay. All right. Do well. What have you got for me? Give me 10. I can, oh, I can a ten? No, no, no. <laughs> Well played. I can well cook. Played. I can cook both. Trust me. Oh, there we go. Ted, do you know what? I actually, I actually posed this question directly to Usain himself. Uh, I dropped him a message and he got back to me with the very supportive words saying, you ain't getting no money. So uh, I, it doesn't really matter how many meters ahead I start. I don't reckon my hamstrings will last, man. I can't lie, the the, the, the tension's too on. But interesting from you, Raf, that you reckon 30 meters should be enough to tie you up against the fastest man that ever lived. But Raf, uh, uh, <laughs> 30 meters is more than, more than good enough. I think, I think you should be able to do that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, come on, if you can't, then... 
That's the standard. I don't care. I don't care who it is. Like it could be anyone. But yeah, if you can't, if you have a seventy meter head start to anyone, you can't beat. Come on, what, what are we doing? What are we doing there, man? Well, listen, Arsenal have a major head start in the league against Chelsea, but it was Chelsea that took a major head start in their fixture at Stamford Bridge, but it ended all square. Uh, Chelsea won three in a row heading into this game. And I got an interesting fact from Dubois himself. The last time Chelsea beat Arsenal at Stamford Bridge, Maurizio Sarri was the manager. Um, so that shows you uh, just how far back it's been. And I don't normally associate that as an Arsenal fan. Chelsea have always been... This team, in my mind, uh, at least in recent, in the last uh, 15 to 20 years, where it's it's stressful playing them. Um, they, and we've gone through a, a period of just getting battered by them and having nightmare performances against them and stuff. So uh, nice to see that things are turning back to the north uh, of London. So I wanted to uh, speak to you guys. Was that Arsenal's worst performance this season? Raf, talk to me. You weren't impressed at the at the start of this. 100% that was definitely probably our worst performance in over two years and I know it feels weird saying this because I've already said it like twice this season that you know this is this has been our worst performance but definitely just the, the whole first half we never really you know uh, got into them we started off in the wrong way straight away you know Zinchenko giving away that pass Declan Rice giving away a pass and the whole thing kind of just looked like it was it just looked like it wasn't going to be our day and then obviously, you know, people laugh when you, you know, when you when you bring this up and like the weather and all that kind of stuff as well. Um, Arsenal fans, no, no, that's, exactly, you know, that's exactly what I said to my yeah. cousin, who's a Chelsea fan. And I said, listen, yeah. I was like, rainy, windy, away yeah. from home. I was like, that's not us. We that's like, we, we're never like been signed. We're like moisturized skins. We're like a little yeah. latte before the game. That's what we're on. Yeah, you, you, could, you could just see, you know, the way we're trying to play, like the ball is just skidding all over the place. And as soon, as soon as, you know, Zinchenko made that mistake, Deco Rice gave the ball away. It just it set the tone, at least for the first half. And then, you know, later on, we kind of grew in. But uh, it, it just, uh, yeah, it wasn't a good showing from us at all. And we just gave Chelsea everything in terms of, you know, you know, have it here. Go on, have it. Try it. Honestly, after the first half, I was wondering whether this is the same Arsenal that we're all used to seeing. Because firstly, Chelsea... We have not been a good footballing side this season. Yes, we've, we've come off the back of three wins, but I've said it before. The Brighton result a bit inflated because Brighton were not exactly in the best moment. And then the other two games we should be winning, but they weren't necessarily convincing. And obviously before that, we weren't playing good football. So, so to see us sort of play the better football initially was very strange because obviously with how Arsenal have been um, this season and last season, I think Chelsea fans were a bit surprised at the balance of play simply because... We're nowhere near the standards that we should be. And it's been like that for a long time to see Arsenal sort of play, you know, lacklustre football to begin with was, yeah, it was very surprising. Well, so what was it, Raf, about our expectation going into the game? I'm speaking for myself here, but Chelsea were in a rich vein of form in all competitions. It, it felt like they were finding their mojo. And looking ahead to this fixture before the international break was over, I had concerns about this game. Did you feel the same? Did, did, did Arsenal fans feel the same about this going into this game? Um, personally, I, I really had no concerns about this game because, you know, over the last couple of years, it's always been quite a comfortable place for us. Obviously, last year was probably the most the most com comfortable match we've had at Stamford Bridge. 
But even then, the previous years, we've kind of come here and got the business, got the wins and got the goals. Uh, but this season, obviously, there's a there's a bit, even though we've got a result against Man City and all of that kind of stuff, you can kind of still feel like, you know, Arsenal haven't really hit that top gear or they haven't really got it going um, this season. And, you know, if you had your reservations about Arsenal going into this match, can't, you can't be blamed. Like honestly, like we haven't, we haven't really played the best of the best football we can play, and it's if you compare it to last season, the points tally is probably somewhere similar and all that kind of stuff. But as you probably know, the football is not the same. It's not going to be the same because you know teams set up differently against us and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's just um, it's it's been a slow start with us, and I can't really put my finger on exactly what it was. But I do have a couple ideas about you know how how, how, how much of a con how much of a concern is this for you? Duke? Because some people might say that going two 0 down away from home and what could have been a fixture that Chelsea could have run away yeah. with to be able to claw it back and still remain undefeated. That's, that, yeah, how does that, like that's, how much that's, of a that's the main thing for me? Uh, I'm not that concerned because because from what I saw last season, I feel like we have the ability and the mentality to bounce back from these types of situations. And, you know, I think that the job at hand right now is quite clear. And if you, once again, I'm just going to go back to last season. Like, if you look at the way we started off last season, just we set the whole league on fire. And then we kind of like, as the season went by, we kind of slowed down and totally like the wheels fell off at the end. And the approach we've taken this season it is a much more measured approach, a much more calmer approach where, you know, we're not allowing these teams to have too many transitions against us and all that kind of stuff. And I'm, what I'm hoping is that we... Come, come like February, March, if we're somewhere around, you know, top two, top three, and we have enough points where we can, you know, decide now we need to go for the title. That's what I'm hoping from this season. I'm I'm not in that boat of, oh, we need to like blow everyone out of the water again, because it's simply not possible. That's not how football works. That's not how Man City won the trip. It's just not how it works. Dubois, what did you make of Odegaard's uh, performance? There's been a few murmurs about Odegaard having this air of going missing in big games, which I'm actually not sure where it's coming from. But I just wanted to get from a, a Chelsea fan's perspective, what did you think of Martin Odegaard uh, in that game? I'll be honest. Um, in terms of the Arsenal midfield and Odegaard in particular, it was one of those games where I think he's had better games. I mean, personally, I rate him really highly. I think he's someone that's clearly shown the standard he's got, the, the quality he has for Arsenal, um, just generally, more generally. But... I think in terms of the Arsenal midfield, especially within the first 60 minutes or so, I thought Chelsea would was sort of dominating that midfield, um, whether that was, you know, through performances of, I think Enzo was quite good. But as the game went on, I felt like Arsenal's midfield sort of started to grow into the game a lot more. Again, Declan Rice's goal is probably sort of a catalyst for that. But in terms of Odegaard, yeah, I mean, I probably expected more from Odegaard simply because of how sort of the name he's got for himself now in the Premier League and obviously being that leader within Arsenal's side. Um, so, yeah, I mean, expected more, but I think as the game went on, Arsenal's midfield as a whole just started to grow into the game. And I think I think what I wanted to put to you as well is I'm assuming 2-2, having considered what could have been in the game, you're a bit gutted that you feel like it's a two points drop rather than a point gained, but ahead of the game, would you have taken a draw? If, if if we'd offered you a draw, would you have taken it at the, at the bridge? 
I think almost every single Chelsea fan is going to say yes to that like to that question because you come we come into that game expecting to lose simply because of not just the history between the two sides in the last what three four five years but knowing that it's the start of a very very big run for us which includes games like Man City Spurs um, Tot- uh, Man City Spurs Brentford Man United back to back so it was one of those where we just want to pick up as many points as we can um, but like you said with how the game went and. 2-0 up with like 20 minutes to go, 25 minutes to go. That's probably why Chelsea fans are so disappointed. But again, like you said, if before the game someone would say, you you know, 2-2, I think everyone would have said, yeah, we'll happily take that. But yes, yeah, it's disappointing because of how we threw it away. Both of you uh, have reasons to be concerned with what happened uh, with the men between the sticks. Of course, Sanchez uh, and our boy Raya uh, having questionable moments throughout the games. Um, I just wanted to speak to you guys about how influential goalkeepers are to your teams. Obviously, Arsenal have got a selection headache on their hands that is turning into a bit of a soap opera. Um, so I'll go to you, Raph, first. What, what did you think of uh, Raya's performance? There were obviously chants from the fans uh, for Aaron Ramsdale, which Arteta kind of cleverly batted away in the press conference. But uh, give, give us your assessment of David Raya in that game. Um, I think with Raya, he he's obviously a very distinct goalkeeper in, in terms of the way he plays. You know, starting up high and trying to help, trying to help us build up and all that kind of stuff. I don't think he is like in terms of shot stopping and just purely being a goalkeeper. I think Ramsdale is better, but I think Raya is probably more suited to to what we do. And the goal that Mudrick scored, because obviously that's that's the main point. I think that was one of them goals that was always bound to bound to happen to Raya, I think, because I do distinctly remember in the first half, um, Chelsea had a shot and obviously we know that Chelsea create a lot of chances, but they also have problems finishing those chances. And they, they had a shot, I think it was in the central area where Raya was almost at the edge of that little six yard box. And if, you know, I, he was just lucky that Chelsea couldn't, you know, finish their dinner. Uh, so I already told my boy then that, you know what, Raya off his line, this might be a bit of trouble. And then obviously in the second half, he, he conceded that goal. And um, obviously his whole goalkeeping technique is, you know, being a bit ahead of, of the line so he can, you know, claim those crosses. And and this is not the first time he's done this. Like, I, I'm, I'm not sure if you guys remember when Brentford were in the in the playoff finals, it was he conceded a similar goal from like a free kick from that angle. So it's not the first time it's happened with Raya and it was probably bound to happen at some point because that's just the that's just his style that's just he how he does his job so I'm not overly mad at him for that because it's just one of them free goals because I don't think Mudrick meant to do that either because he never did what did what surely Mudrick meant it no your boy I don't think he did I, I, I don't he think he, he, meant never, it, yeah. so he meant it in my, in my opinion <laughs> yeah because he, he, he said he said the coach and him discussed it and all that kind of stuff but I, I think that's I think that's he's just chatting, man. He's chatting. Well, listen, listen. Dubois disagrees, but I mean, you you mentioned not finishing dinner, but Cole Palmer uh, was definitely looking lively. Probably the most, one of the most surprising, if not the most surprising transfer the summer was Cole Palmer uh, moving over to Chelsea. Uh, what did you make of his movement? What did you make of how lively he was, particularly obviously in that first half? Dubois. I thought he was great. I mean, he obviously started in a position he hasn't played for us before. It was quite a surprise seeing us start without sort of that recognised striker. 
which I think was everyone was sort of interested to see how that would happen because Cole Palmer, even before today, he was brilliant for us, but he is obviously in a different position, different roles, so you didn't really know what to expect. But again, he's just proven to be like, I'd say he's been our best signing, arguably, from the summer, just because of how well he's sort of just gelled into the squad. Uh, he seems to be someone that's taking responsibility as well, even if it is a penalty, yes, but... You know, for the fact that he's taking these penalties and, you know, he's, again, put them away confidently, he's seeing second one now, but he's he's become, I think, one moment in the game which sort of, for me, describes Cole Palmer really well. I don't know if you guys remember, was I think we were on the break and then it's just the finest little touch from Cole Palmer which set Sterling away and obviously didn't lead to a goal, but it was that faintest little touch where he was playing in a position where, well, that's all it takes. It reminds me of, you know, that sort of, not again, he's playing in that false nine role, that deft touches, those sort of touches, you have to have the confidence to pull those off and he does. And so, yeah, for me, Cole Palmer's brilliant. Um, and yeah, he's definitely one of the positives, one of the few positives we've had so far this season. Well, so I guess both teams could be, you know, you can't blame both, uh, you can't blame fans for accusing both teams of not being able to finish their dinner or having that kind of clinical approach, but not having that killer in between the posts. Um, Arsenal have been linked. There's been loads of discussions about Ivan Tony in January. I wonder, I want to pose to you guys, at, at, at the current time, who needs Ivan Tony more? Arsenal or Chelsea? Because it, it, feels, it feels like Tony could do a job there too and fit in really well. Who, who, needs, who needs Ivan Tony more? I think, I don't think we need Ivan Tony right now. Oh, wow. I, I, don't know about, I don't know about Chelsea needing, they might need a striker. Because you know they they always tend to buy players when when they can and win, but um, I don't think we need someone like Tony right now. I'd be more focused on you know getting in a winger. Pedro Neto comes to mind obviously because I think Havertz is more than capable of of, of doing that role. I know, I know Chelsea fans really it might yeah I think he's more than capable of of doing that role that where you know we would probably ask Ivan Tony to do you know going collect. Because if you look at his, you know, headers one, all, th all those kind of stats, he's, he's just as good as any other striker in the league. But, but, but what about what, what? But what about that killer instinct in between the post? Ivan Tony is not a killer. He, wow. He's not a killer. He's not a killer. He's he's just he's. I think he's just about you know, matching up with his xG. He's not. I know. I'm saying goals, this. 20, what, Twenty goals last season for 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 Brentford. I, yeah, and that's fine. That's perfectly great. But I don't. He's an amazing player in his own right, and he even if he came to Arsenal, he'd do great thing for great things for us. But I don't think that's the move that we need to make to you know get us to that next level. You know what every Arsenal fan wants and is expecting at this point. Food for thought. Listen, Dubois, what do what do you make of that? Um, I take Ivan Tony in a heartbeat. I think he's someone we need. Um, desperately. I mean, yes, we've got Nico Jackson. I think we perhaps overrated him a tad after preseason, which we always tend to do anyway with our players, but preseason <laughs> comes around. Jackson, Jackson is looking like the real deal. And he's, that's not to say he's done well recently. He has done well recently. Um, but we've sort of been exposed to his inconsistent in terms of goal scoring ability. I mean, he does waste a lot of chances. Yes, he puts more away than perhaps our previous strikers have, but. He, he does miss a lot of chances and I think Ivan Tony is someone that would, he's just that striker, a mould of striker that's always done well at Chelsea. Always, you think back to all the strikers we've had that have actually succeeded at the club. They fit Ivan Tony's profile. Only sort of thing I'm thinking of from a Chelsea perspective in that I don't know if it's a realistic transfer is 
depending on the development of Broja, I mean, he's clearly valued by Pochettino. So, and he's someone that, I mean, he already scored this season after coming back from injury. He's clearly someone Pochettino likes. So can I see Chelsea investing 80 million or whatnot in Tony and having Tony, Broja and Jackson on their books? It wouldn't really make sense. Um, but I still think he's someone that if he did come, he would be a, a big, big positive because we need that experience. We need that profile. And we need that goal-scoring ability. I mean, like you said earlier, 20-plus goals Premier League for Brentford is a huge, huge achievement. Um, and we need that mentality, but don't think it's realistic. I can't, I, can't, I can't help but thinking when you're talking about when it makes sense to buy someone or how many players you've got in the books, Chelsea's not really the team that we apply that logic to. So I'm sure if you guys wanted him, it doesn't matter whether you've got 10 strikers, 8 strikers or no strikers, I think you're going for Tony. I mean, I'd hope so. I hope that's the case. I mean, we're merry at this rate, Chelsea. So yeah. That's all rap space. Like, why? What? You think, what? You think Broya and Jackson and Palmer are enough to stop you men dropping it for Tony? Yeah. <laughs> you must uh, have a memory loss. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, Chelsea just, they can sign whoever they want, however they want. So if you're going to get it done, then can I say, but Bowley's yeah. found another way. Well, listen, uh, speaking of the, the like bulky squads or, 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 or squad selections and issues. Um, there was a. I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on uh, Enzo Fernandez taking the ball and handing it to Cole Palmer for the penalty, um, and essentially ensuring Sterling doesn't take the penalty. Is that disrespectful to Raz, or is that a, a huge show of faith to Cole Palmer? Dubois, I wanted to bring you in on that. Well, what were your thoughts on that? Uh, two things. It's firstly a big show of faith to Cole, but secondly, it's speaks testament to Enzo's leadership skills. I know it's a very trivial little thing that happened within the game, but one thing Chelsea fans have been a bit vocal about is the choice of captains and vice-captains this season for uh, Chelsea. I feel like it's been based, not to say Reese is not a good club captain, but Pochettino's logic is that those who can speak English are better captains. And for me, it was a bit outrageous because, okay, we have Reese's captain, Chilwell vice-captain, and it seems vice sort of vice-captain is Gallagher. Um, which to me and Chelsea fans alone is very odd because you have players like Thiago Silva. For me, he's got to be up there in the leadership group in terms of the captaincy. Of course. It's not just about speaking English. It's the leadership he brings on the pitch. Yeah, so Thiago Silva is not, again, within that leadership group in the sense that he's not captain, not vice-captain or vice-vice-captain. And for me, it's a bit strange. Chelsea fans, it's strange. And Enzo is someone that we see as a leader just based on how the little things he does on the pitch. And that was an example of it. The fact that, okay, he had the... If Sterling's looking at him to Enzo as authority, that says it all, really. I mean, Sterling's an experienced player. Um, but Enzo had the authority to, to hand that to Cole Palmer. So for me, yeah, it's a bit odd that our captain choices are the way they are, but it shows that Enzo is a real leader on the pitch, even if he's not part of that traditional like leadership group. Yeah, I think to me it's a bit surprising that you know someone like Thiago Silva isn't isn't the captain Chelsea. I know I know there might be many reasons, as he said, he probably prefers someone who speaks English. But I, I know obviously I'd, you'd think that guys like Sterling and Silva would kind of take in more responsibility. But you know if Enzo can come in and take responsibility, I think that's credit to him. And if he can you know be a new player and still come in and you know provide that leadership, that's that's a good thing, right? We've seen the same with Declan Rice. Even though he's not our captain, you can you can very much see that you know when the chips are down, which players turn up, and you know you, you have that you get that sense of feeling about them about those type from those types of players that you know they're here to take control and they know what's going on at all times. 
And, you know, if Enzo can be that guy for Chelsea, then more credit to him as well. And, I mean, speaking of uh, Declan Rice, I mean, there's many people are faced with an open goal, but not every day a finish is like that. That was sensational. Like, that was... I, I, I'm not even sure Sanchez would have saved that if he was in the goal. The, the way that bended, it almost reversed back and boomeranged back to him. But uh, interesting points from you both. Speaking of Thiago Silva, and I'm gobsmacked he's not vice-captain, actually. that That is outrageous, but... It is Chelsea, uh, side-eye there, a bit of shade there for Dubois, I'll guess. Um, I wanted to ask you guys, is a 39-year-old Thiago Silva better than Gabriel? Um, Forgetting for for uh, potential transfer value, all of that aside, Thiago Silva or Gabriel? And I, I'm happy, Raf, to pose a question to you that right now, between now and for the next three months, would you swap Gabriel for Thiago Silva to line up? Next to Saliba. Raf, what have you got for me? Uh, no, I wouldn't. Of course I wouldn't. Obviously, respect to Thiago Silva and everything he's done for the game. Uh, I think Gabriel, is, it's that partnership that he has with Saliba. And, you know, you know the way he protects that channel, the way he, you know, gets aggressive and tight to defenders. Maybe Thiago Silva can do that as well. He should be able to do that. He's an experienced player. But I think Gabriel, it's more about that partnership he has with Saliba. And I don't think... That can be replicated with, with just any other player, even though it's Thiago Silva. I think that's why, obviously, I have to back my boy as well. Like, what am I doing here if I'm saying Thiago Silva? I can't be safe. Yeah, so I think for me, I, I think, I for think, me, it's Gabriel. Yeah, I think football fans all around the world are in are in agreement that Thiago Silva is one of the centre backs of this generation. Like a, the longevity, his ability to play, what he's achieved with Chelsea since he's been here. Um, I remember in one of his first ever interviews, he said, I'm not here for a retirement. I'm here to win trophies. And I thought, yeah, everyone says that. And then he went and he went and won the only thing he couldn't get at PSG in his first season, which was incredible. But uh, maybe, maybe because we don't support Chelsea, maybe we underappreciate what he brings to the Chelsea side. So Dubois, tell me, how good is 39-year-old Thiago Silva? Look, he's really he's good. He's good. He's a great player. He's He's obviously a big presence in the back line, but again, his age I feel like is I mean he's 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 thirty nine years old. Like you can visibly see now that he is sort of getting on a bit this season. It's it's I guess it's just being non biased here, unbiased by saying this because some Chelsea fans have been sort of quite critical of Thiago Silva this season. I think the game against Arsenal was probably his best performance um, that we've seen this season. He was a bit slow earlier in the season, wasn't reading the game as he usually does, This, those fouls, etc. So, I mean, going back to your question, Gabriel's had a better season than Thiago Silva, for sure. Um, but, like you said, he's been a real pillar of that Chelsea defence since he came in, and like you mentioned, winning the Champions League with us. And, you know, it's I think it's his fourth fourth season or third season already with us now. It's, it's, it's crazy how he's been able to maintain such a high standard at his age, because we see Premier League defenders at this this sort of age, if they even make it to this sort of age, they're never going to be on the same sort of level that he is on. Um, so it's testament to how he is as a professional. But yeah, I think I wouldn't be surprised if this is his last season at the club. Um, but yeah, for whatever he's done, I think every Chelsea fan is grateful. Would you swap Gabriel uh, for Thiago Silva for the next three months for Chelsea? Yeah, I would. I would. And that's being completely unbiased. Yeah. Again, Chelsea fans might be a bit... Some Chelsea fans might be a bit upset over that comment, but you've got to look at it how it is. Thiago Silva is a great player. No one's doubting that. But 
right now, if you compare both both players' performances, you'd probably say Gabriel's had the better start of the season. So, based on current form, yeah, I would. Um, I think just going back to Gabriel, I think I reckon he's been better than Saliba this season. For you know, for all the hype that we give Saliba and you know all the flowers that we give Saliba, rightly so. I think um, you know the the game states that we've faced this season. You know, kind of backs against the wall. I think. Gabriel is far better equipped to deal with those kind of types of game states. And you can you could kind of see it with Saliba yesterday. Uh, and you could just see Saliba wasn't fully, you know, 100%. And that might be, you know, international break and maybe not training and all that kind of stuff. But even then, he did his job. But I think Saliba is, sorry, Gabriel is much better, you know, equipped to deal with these types of games, backs against the wall where we're kind of, you know, facing a bit of pressure. And he enjoys doing that he enjoys defending and doing all that kind of stuff so any any of the tough matches we have we've had you know in the last two years if you want to go back to if you remember Leeds away last season we had a we had a torrid time and Gabriel stepped up that's what he does and so for me I think just to give Gabriel his flowers because he doesn't seem to get many of it or much of it for some reason he obviously scored for Brazil as well recently so I think he's been our best set back this season definitely a message from Raf to all football fans who think they can play with us. Show my man some damn respect. Now, moving on from Arsenal and Chelsea, I just wanted to come across a few other headlines from the weekend that I wanted to get your thoughts on away from Chelsea and Arsenal. Uh, the Harry Maguire revival is in town. Uh, he had a great display against Sheffield United, uh, was dominant in all aspects of the game and uh, and helped United to get three points at Bramall Lane. I wanted to touch on that are we witnessing a, a, a silent revival of Harry Maguire look I mean in terms of Maguire himself I mean it's hard not to feel happy for him as a person just on a personal level based on what he's been through probably over the last few years um, to see his sort of revival and sort of him do so well in that game so on a personal level yeah great happy for him in terms of whether I'd want him at Chelsea still probably not simply because I think Chelsea, we have, and now we have enough centre-backs. We have, you know, people do forget that Fafana has been out injured, obviously with a long-term injury, and he's someone who's going to come back into the team. And he will probably start. And then, you know, we have Colwell, who's going to be sort of that leader in, in the back for God knows how many years to come. And you've got Disasi, who's had a really good start to the season. Um, Silva, obviously, now coming into some good form. So I think Chelsea have enough centre-backs. Um, Maguire, I, I feel like... A club like West Ham is is probably where he'll thrive, where he can get regular game time. A club that's going to sort of play him every single week because obviously at United, he's come back in now and he's, he's starting to do well. But I think he's going to need that regular game time. I just don't think he'd get that Chelsea, even if, you know, we did end up signing him. So, so, so even considering his recent form right now, you don't think there's a silent revival happening where Harry Maguire is kind of carving his way back into that United back line? There's been questions over a lot of the centre-backs that, at United and the way kind of Ten Hag is leaving them open, could Harry Maguire be the answer that they've been looking for? Personal, honest opinion, I think it's not going to be a long-term thing uh, with Harry. I feel like this phase now, if it ends up being an extended period of time where he's playing well, is going to be something that's going to drive up his price for him to move on in, uh, in January or in the summer. So I would probably mm -hmm. take long-term future at United with a pinch of salt. I think the sort of relations between Maguire and United are probably going to be coming to an end. That's just my personal opinion. But I think for the time being, if he's playing well and he's getting opportunities, he's going to drive his price up for sure. Um, yeah, I think with uh, the thing with Maguire is 
I think much of the damage that was that's been done to his image, at, I think at many nights you don't really recover. You don't really recover from stuff like that. It doesn't matter how good you play in the long term. Um, I think, yeah, as as Dubois said, like anything that happens between now and January or now or the summer, I think that would just help him to get moved out out of Man United. And I'd love to see him, you know, go outside of England because I think he's 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 faced a lot of criticism. You know, wherever he goes, he's he's kind of a joke, which is quite sad. Like I remember when he came on against Arsenal and yeah. the whole of North Bank, whole of there. North Bank, yeah, same. I was there, and the whole whole of North Bank started cheering, and I was like, "Come on, like really?" I understand, you know, when you're at a game, you do you, you, the fans will do whatever. I'm to guilty get of it. I'm guilty of it. I was yeah. singing along. Yeah, I was yeah, in the wrong and, and and yeah, I think his reputation as a whole in England has taken a bit of a dent. So I think for his sake and just and just the fact that I love seeing English players outside outside of the Premier League, I, I just love the whole vibe. I'd like to see him to go 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 to like you know a foreign league, you know, up his name again, get that PR, and you know, listen, listen, let stay in the England team. Listen, let me land, let me land. Smalling and Harry Maguire in the Stadio Olimpico doing their thing at the back for Jose Mourinho. Let me land. No, maybe that's for another time. But moving on to the other big story that I wanted to touch on, um, Newcastle seemed to be the one that was going to be knocking on the top four. And trying to knock one of the existing big four or big six, what have you, off their perch. But there seems to be another claret and blue coloured team led by Unai Emery that seems to have other ideas. What do we make of Villa's uh, performance, an unbelievable performance over the weekend, capped off by, honestly, an incredible piece of striker played by Ollie Watkins, who is really turning on this season. Um, where, what is the limit for Unai Emery's Aston Villa, uh, Ref? Uh, I think for Unai Emery, what you're seeing at Aston Villa is exactly what you're going to get from Unai Emery if you give him the players and, you know, give him the environment to succeed, which I didn't think he got at Arsenal. And the main thing that he does, which I love about Unai Emery, is that wherever he goes, he gets a striker and he gets that striker firing. He did at Arsenal with Aubameyang. He did at Villarreal with Gerard Moreno. Moreno. He made him a monster. And he's done the same with Oli Watkins again. Credit to Oli Watkins, he was already a I think a very good striker Absolutely. from his Brentford days, but he's just Unai Emery's just given him the tools and the facilities to take him to that next level. And then you have you know guys like Diaby around him that are doing doing the job. And I love that role that Diaby's in in that little false nine centre forward role. I love that. And so yeah, I'm just happy for Emery. I'm happy seeing him you know in a place where he can thrive. And I think clubs like you know Aston Villa, Sevilla, Villarreal. I think. Those types of clubs are perfect for, for Unai Emery and, you know, the way he sets up his team. Do what? Um, how, how far can how far can uh, Aston Villa go? Can they go one further? Can they can they challenge for the Europa League places? Can they challenge for the top four? Um, again, it's, Aston Villa have already beaten us this season. So, I mean, it's, we've seen what they can do to us. But they're, um, it's, it's, a t- it's a team that's obviously... Um, They've got a manager who's got experience, and I think what like Raf said there, the team that he's managing just resembles sort of teams he's managed before, in that he's in that mode of like a Sevilla where he's not got that pressure he has at like say a very big club, but he's got the tools where he can develop players without sort of any sort of pressure, and that's why we're seeing again players like Ollie Watkins 
take responsibility. Just I think it's got a big reason. Big reason for that is the manager. So it's it's very sort of interesting to see what they can do this season. I'm not sure they can sustain this run in the Premier League simply because the fact they're playing in Europe. I feel like with as sort of we get into congested periods, it's so you you normally see that players uh, of teams that play in Europe they when they're coming back from like an away day they'll be quite tired and it sort of affects their Premier League form. I can see that happening with Aston Villa, but I think they can get far in Europe. Um, so potentially that's an avenue if they were to win a European trophy. Um, it, for me, I think Premier League's probably going to end up tailing off, but I think they can go far in Europe for sure. Incredible. And um, finally, I wanted to touch on uh, remembering the late, great Bobby Charlton, uh, who passed away sadly this weekend. Uh, he was a World Cup winner, of course, in 1966 with England. Uh, he won the European Cup 10 years after the tragic Munich air disaster, which he was a survivor of. Uh, he won the Ballon d'Or, 700-plus games for Manchester United and over 100 games for England. Um, definitely way before our times, but someone that we know well, we know his face, we recognise his presence at, uh, uh, at Manchester United, of course, part of the Holy Trinity at Man United. I just wanted to get your guys perspective on a, a legend of the game passing and kind of particularly an, an, an English legend I wanted to know what what people of your generation kind of how they remember Bobby Charlton or, or how they reflect on a passing of such a legend um I think you know many of these uh you know especially from the team that won the World Cup in 1966 many of the players from that generation everybody knows about you know that was probably the greatest generation of English footballers that ever was and you know <clears throat> so Bobby Charlton was arguably the greatest English player ever absolutely absolutely Dubois uh, there was a lot of talks about how present Bobby Charlton was traveling with Man United around the world he would actually go into the dressing rooms regularly after games to this day um how, how important are legends like that um to the legacy of clubs uh, how, how 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 important is it to have legends like that like obviously you've got Petr Cech that was doing things for Chelsea there was there's Edu who's doing stuff for Arsenal of course not at the level of iconicness that Bobby Charlton was but how important are you know legends in kind of preserving what we've done and obviously what we want to achieve as a club in, in the future yeah I mean obviously it was really sad to learn of of um Sir Bobby's passing I think everyone in football sort of paid their respects rightly so. I mean, he was obviously not just a big figure within United, but England and sort of world football, everyone sort of knows who he was and what he's done. And obviously with his World Cup winning exploits as well in, in 1966 is, is speaks for itself. But in terms of, yeah, having a figure like that in, in your football club is, I think is really important. Like you rightly mentioned, we had Petr Cech um, sort of during the time when Super League was a possibility. One, someone was, you know, some people thought it was going to happen, but we had Petrek during those times. Who sort of, I remember there was a fan protest outside Stamford Bridge um, about the the sort of Super League. But you know, at the time, Petrek was working within the club, and he comes down and he addressed the fans personally uh, whilst that protest was going on. And, and I think that is an example of where these legends can have a say on not just the football club but the fans as well. And sort of, if there's any unrest, they can be sort of that key figure to ensure that dies down and it, it made a big impact because obviously that was the same season we went on to win the Champions League um, and I think a big reason was that that we had the support from these big legends within the club 
um, who are making big decisions. And I think fans can get behind that a lot more when it's a it's a figure that's sort of been an icon at the club. You can sort of let those decisions happen without sort of questioning them since you know what these players have done for the club as opposed to if someone hasn't had experience within the club. So yeah, I think it's a very, very big, important thing that every club should have. Yeah, and adding back to, you know, Dubois' point, I think it's very important for, you know, clubs to have these, like, you know, ambassadors um, that, you know, kind of represent the culture and the heritage of the club. Well said, Raph. Well, Sir Bobby, you're a World Cup winner. You're a, you're an icon of British sport. And of course, your legacy will live long beyond your 700 games for Man United, your 100 caps for England, and all the incredible stuff you have done in football. Sir Bobby Charlton, rest in peace. That's all from us on this episode of the No Ratings Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and follow at No Ratings Pod on YouTube, Spotify, Twitter, TikTok. And as we said at the head of the episode as well, thank you so much for all your support. We can see all the listeners on the back end, but we'd love to get some more tweets from you guys on feedback on what you liked, what you didn't like. If you didn't like me, keep it to yourself. If you liked it, tweet all about it. Go crazy. And let us know what you want to hear, who you want to hear from, what you want to hear about on the No Ratings Podcast. And we'll be sure to consider it and keep giving you guys the content that we love doing. Thank you so much to Raf and Dubois. We'll see you next time.